Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Thank you, praise team. And let us all right now just bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Father, you have already been here and you've already welcomed us. And we know that you're here asking us each to look at you in a different way. And so, Lord, we pray that as we sing, as we take time to read, and as we take time to listen, may we understand who you are in the way you want us to know you. And this we pray in your name. Amen. Before I get started, as you saw earlier in the service, Sebastian Marino was baptized last Sabbath. It was great to see. Right now, we have the opportunity to welcome him in officially into our church family. So I'd like to kind of in a, in a very formal way, maybe just ask each of you to make your prayers today, not only for the things that are interesting and the things that are, are important to you, but make your prayers for Sebastian as he starts this new life out in Christ, as we welcome him in to our church family. Last week, we talked about how the gospel is good news for all people. We talked about the father and his two sons who both had made choices that separated them from him and the good news of who he really was. Yet, we saw how he went out to both of them and offered understanding and willingness to bring them both back into their rightful place with him. In this, he showed that not only was he ready for their return, but they too were ready if they'd only come. What great news, right? However, both of those brothers might ask, how is this even possible? They were probably shaking their heads thinking, how does this even work? both from different angles, of course, yet still profoundly important question that they're about to ask. While the gospel is good news from the standpoint that the kingdom of God is now, it is also profound news in that through Christ's work, it brings power to make the transformation possible. In his letter to the Romans, Paul states clearly, he says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The reason Paul says he's not afraid or ashamed is because some in Rome were questioning whether Paul really wanted to come to Rome and preach the good news. You see, the Roman church had some pretty big issues, and some doubted quite simply if the gospel could actually speak to the complexity of what was going on in Rome. So Paul made it very clear. He's not afraid. He's anxious to get there and share this profound good news of Jesus Christ. God is not unfamiliar with human problems. From the beginning, God has dealt with man's mistakes, even the really big ones. 
We just had our children's story before this, and there was God in the garden, not only dealing with the distrust in him, but also their personal shame and blame. There's an interesting phenomena that takes place when we are all in this shadow of shame. In one interview, Brene Brown, a researcher who's done extensive work in the area of vulnerability and shame, shares that actually none of us enjoy that emotion of shame. As a matter of fact, she says it creates a visceral reaction. It is probably the most repelled emotion in the human body. But what do we do? And what we do with it is key. And it depends on our place or how we are positioned in the area of power and control. Let me explain. The very next story that we read in Genesis is about Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Both of them offer sacrifices. One chooses to follow God's rule. The other decides on his own. Sound familiar? Mm Mm-hmm. However, this time, the one who didn't follow the rules had the club and killed the other. The result? Neither would see their lineage continue. But good news still comes and has the power to save this family. Seth is born. Seth. The name actually means anointed or to stand in place of. You know, it's interesting that the, of the four gospel writers, Luke is the only one who traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Seth, the anointed one, who was to provide a way through and eventually out of this pain and the shame. God knew this, and he had this plan in place long before Seth. Luke was helping us understand that this good news that started in this promise to this first family now is here in the person of Jesus. And he doesn't just carry empathy and understanding for a lost world, but power to change the damage we've encountered from it. Because that damage is part of what causes so much shame. Jesus would talk openly about this. His words cut deep into the lives of so many who had to take hard and vulnerable looks at their lives. But then there are others who could not go there, and they couldn't take that hard road. They repelled the notion that they needed to be schooled by this man from Nazareth. They became furious and indignant. And you see, shame doesn't sit very long before we start to put it somewhere. We either have to admit who we are and seek restoration, or we have to project it on someone or something else and discredit the source. However, the motivational factor that influences which way we're going to go during that time is where we see ourselves in the area of influence and control. If we have the control, then we believe we can alter the narrative. Then our shame can be displaced. It is what the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day had, and they exerted it, even to kill. This ultimate end was a way to eliminate someone they couldn't tolerate in the face of their shame. The problem is not that this reaction happens. No, like the two stories of the brothers, 
The problem is that many times when given the chance, most of us exert the same intolerance on someone else when we are ultimately finding ourselves in the position of control. It is the reason why most of us project our shame on those who might be in a more vulnerable or weaker position than we ourselves are in. But the gospel is all about a different kind of power. It is not motivated by control or manipulation. It is completely different. So let's head back to Romans. Paul is not unaware of what is at stake. You see, the leadership outside and many inside the church were all about exerting control. As long as we have it, let's wield it for our good. The problem was that the church in Rome was becoming a place of judgment and exclusiveness rather than a place of compassion and forgiveness. I'd like to look at Romans starting in the first chapter. Now, for those of you who know Romans, you know you can't just stop and read chapter one. Because in truth, Paul is setting us up, much like Jesus sets us up in his parables. Paul is not done after chapter one. He continues his thoughts on the gospel all the way into chapter three and beyond. But I'd like us to deal with these first three chapters in a different way. I'd like us to keep as a backdrop in our minds the story that we looked at last week, the story of the father who waits for his two sons. Please, let's see these three chapters in light of what the father is going through with his sons and that they have been separated from him and his presence by choices that brought shame, guilt, resentment, and intolerance. Unfortunately, the first chapter of Romans has sort of become known as the chapter that we we go to to see all the people who God doesn't like. We've even used this chapter to proclaim, if you want to know who's responsible for all the bad in the world, well, here you go. Here's the list. And that's how it's become known as, sort of the older brother's way of getting back. And Paul lays it on pretty well, by the way. Let me, uh, let me share. This is what he starts off with in this, uh, this, this chapter that goes quite heavy. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exert, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human or made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things to each other's bodies. They traded truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator. And he doesn't stop. He keeps going. And if we use Jesus' parable as a backdrop, you can almost hear the older son. Yes, give it to him. God has no place for that kind of nonsense. He has no tolerance for someone screwing with his rules. Paul ends chapter one by saying this. Let me read. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires those who do these things deserve death. Yet they do them anyway. 
And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Paul is speaking the language of the older son. But if we read this from the younger son's perspective, you might notice a different kind of confirmation. First off, depending on the timing of the son's experience, you might get that arrogance, that indifference, that self-gratification. However, in the parable, it reads, when the younger son came to his senses, he started to realize that this was no life at all. But even after that, we realized that there was still the shame, that sense of shame that separated him. And he saw how his own choices had led him to separate from the father and everything he believed home to be. So how are we to look at this? Well, Paul doesn't want us to process this quite yet because he continues in chapter two. Those people are on a dark spiral down. Paul kind of refers back to chapter one. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground, where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. Just when the older brother thought that he had Jesus on his side. And listen to what he says. Paul continues. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he is not soft. (laughs) Wow. Everything was going so well in chapter one. I sometimes wonder what it was like to sit in the first Roman Christian church that morning. And one of the members gets up and says, hey, everyone, we got a letter from Paul. And then they start reading this. Wow, what a roller coaster ride. Paul is helping all of us to understand that sin is a terrible thing for people. It is because it is what separates us from our God and the life he has always wanted for us. But let's not stay on the roller coaster. Let's move on to chapter three. So this is the simply profound part of the gospel. Romans three says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Paul shares that in the simple, profound truth of Christ's life and death, there is profound power to redeem us. There is now no condemnation, no deprivation. It is this realization that gives us the power and the ability to walk away from our shame and bitterness. When we finally get to see ourselves in his eyes, the same way he sees his own son. But there is another side to this. 
if we are truly able to now see our size, ourselves in God's eyes, we also need to allow others to be seen as God sees them. Meaning, it is not our place to impose what we assume to be God's eyes on someone else's life. Paul says, Yes, our actions, our attitudes, our whole life will change as a result of this power. God will always be transforming us into his intended purpose for him. But for him, not for our imposed impression or judgment of who or what they should be. God has redeemed us. There is no better news than that. Yet he calls us all to be responsible to the incredible revelation and the power it gives us to change not only our understanding of ourselves, but also of others. A couple of months ago, I shared a story about my dad's Mercury Dime collection and how he had sold the one dime in his collection that was 100 times more valuable than all of the other dimes. Little did I realize that he had done that for me. But anyway, since then, I thought, how nice would it be that, that I could maybe replace that? Maybe it would be meaningful to see that dime fill that space in, space in my dad's collection and return it to a complete set. Well, little did I realize how challenging that endeavor would be. Challenging not only in trying to find one for sale, but also to make sure it was not a fake. Because of that dime's rare value, it also has precipitated a lot of counterfeit productions. As a matter of fact, there are actually more fake 1916 dimes than the number of real ones that were actually originally minted. Needless to say, it's been quite difficult to find a dime to fill that empty slot. However, I did find one that seemed to be both similar to my dad's original dime and in a manageable price range. When I asked the dealer at the coin shop about what this coin might be and whether or not I should buy it, he said, no, you probably won't want that coin. Disappointedly, I asked, why not? And he explained that even though it had been authenticated as a real 1916 D dime, someone along the line had tried to clean it themselves by thinking it would add value, when in actuality it took away its real value by removing the very thing that would keep that coin from deteriorating. You see, when we try to do the master's job, we end up not only devaluing what he's made each of us to be, we end up removing, removing the beauty of what he wants for all of us in community together. The gospel is simply profound in that when we choose to believe in God, we are made whole and righteous. The transformation that takes place in our lives is for his purpose. No more separation, no more condemnation, no more shame. That is the power of the gospel. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, 
Don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.